Well, it's a joy to open God's Word with God's people this morning here at EBC, not as a guest preacher, but as one of your pastors, as one of your friends. and as a brother in Christ. Well, the ocean is incredible, isn't it? Its breadth and its depth is unfathomable. And if you're like me, then you stand on the shore of the ocean and you look out and you think, how deep? How wide, how beautiful, and how great. But then we can move from the shore to the water's edge, and we can, we, can put our, we can put our toe in it. We can dive in and wade out into it. We can swim into it. The ocean is both simultaneously larger than life, and yet we can know it. We can approach it. We can enjoy and delight in it. But what if we're talking about God? Is he both simultaneously greater than our comprehension, so transcendent and yet near and imminent? Well, please open your Bible to Psalm 139. It's right in the middle of the Old Testament. We are going to see and hear how God's word answers that question this morning. The great C.H. Spurgeon once said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And that's just what we're going to do today. We're going to live in the Bible. We're going to live in this chapter. So you'll be helped to keep your Bible open to it this morning. Please listen and follow along as I read. This is the good word of God, and this is the best part of the sermon this morning. Here it is. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of, God, of, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word, and he is worthy to be praised. Let's say that together. He is worthy to be praised. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask you, our all-seeing, all-present, all-creative, and all-holy God, to turn the lights on in our hearts and minds this morning. Show yourself to us, God, through your word. We ask that we would not just be informed by your word, but that we would be transformed by it this morning. Cause us to behold the risen Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, before we work through the details of our psalm, there are a few things that I would like for us to notice. We know by the heading of the psalm that it is a psalm of David. David was the king of Israel. The one, the king, who pointed toward the greater king who is Christ. And David is writing this psalm as he is being pursued by evil, bloodthirsty men who are enemies of God. Thus, David is showing us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what it is like to sing, what it is to pray, what it is to ponder the greatness of God in the midst of sin, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of anxiety and loneliness. I also hope that you notice here as we read the psalm that David gives us a big picture of God. David here is giving us big God theology as he declares his excellencies. David is showing us in just 24 verses what it is like to move from theology, the study of God, to doxology, the praise and worship of God. And because of all of this, friends, here at the outset, I want us to see that this isn't just a morning psalm. This isn't an evening psalm. This is an everyday psalm for the believer. For it exalts the one true God who is indeed simultaneously ineffable, so far beyond our comprehension, and yet intimate, so near to us. So let's dive in. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the main point. God is all-knowing, all-present, all-creative, all-holy. So praise him. 
God is all-knowing, all-present, all-creative, and all-holy. So praise him. And our psalm, and this point breaks down into four subpoints: The knowledge of God, verses 1 through 6. The presence of God, verses 7 through 12. The creativity of God, there in verses 13 through 18. And the holiness of God, there in verses 19 through 24. Okay, so point one. The knowledge of God, verses 1 through 6. Let's read them once again. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Well, 2009 was a big year. The H1N1 flu was declared a global pandemic. Our first African-American president was elected. Tiger Woods announced his departure from golf. The TV show Parks and Rec debuted. For the kids here, Minecraft was first released to the public while still being developed. The Bitcoin network was created. 2009 was a big year, but all of these things paled in comparison to the biggest event in 2009. And that was the day that I exchanged marriage covenant vows with my godly and beautiful wife, Kate. (laughs) I met Kate when I was in sixth grade. We know each other well. But my knowledge of her is incomplete. No, my knowledge of her and my love for her has grown. It has increased over the years of our marriage. I use this as an example to show us that the knowledge that we have relationally is not a perfect knowledge, but it's a progressive knowledge. But with God, not the case. With God, his knowledge for us is perfect, and it is personal. God is personally omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. That is what David is getting at here as he recognizes that the Lord, his covenant Lord, the covenant Lord over all, has searched him and knows him. See, God knew David inside and out. He knows you and I inside and out thoroughly because we live our lives ever before him. The reformer, John Calvin, the Protestant Reformation former, reformer, calls this Coram Deo, which is in the presence of God. That's where we live. God knows us perfectly. So let's see that in our text. God knows who we are. There in verse 1. God knows what we do. There in verse 2. God knows what we think. The second half of verse 2. God knows where we go. Verse 3. God knows what we say. Verse 4. Friends, nothing in our lives is outside of God's knowledge. And it has been said that he who knows us best loves 
us the most if we have turned to the Son in repentance and faith. Although many of us wouldn't say it, but many of us have a functionally stoic view of God. Some have called this practical atheism. We have this uncanny ability to go about our day or days not even thinking about God. We awake, we work, we eat, we sleep, we do it again. We do all of this without pondering the God who has given us all of those things. Brothers and sisters, we, we can have the most intellectual understanding of who God is. We may know the big words to say, but functionally live either as if God doesn't exist or we live with such a way that he is so transcendent that we just forget that he's near to us, particularly in his knowledge of us. But friends, may this not be the case. May this not be. Instead, let us set our gaze upon him, the God who knows us best. When sin and suffering comes, may we set our, our gaze just as David did upon the character and the wisdom of God and rest in the truth that he knows us intimately. May we not trust in our own wisdom and fleeting knowledge of ourselves ultimately, but lean into God's perfect wisdom, knowledge, and love for us with his help and by his grace. Calvin put it this way, buckle up. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid knowledge, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. For in the first place, no man can survey himself without turning his thoughts toward God in whom he lives and moves. That's so good. So good. Well, in the closing of this, of this section, David writes, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. There in verse 5. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. If you're claustrophobic to that first, if <laughs> that first part may not sound so good. But here's what David is saying. God is before, behind, and beside him. He is not alone in his thoughts. But God is with him like a loving father. God has his hand upon him. And what's David resolve? This is all too wonderful for me. It's so high, I can't comprehend it. And I wonder if you feel the same. When you think of God's knowledge of you, every detail of your life, are you fearful or are you thankful? When you think of God's knowledge of you, does it scare you or does it encourage you? Friends, God truly knows every detail of your life. Do you truly know him? Well, our God is all-knowing, but there's more. He's also all-present, which brings us to point to the presence of God, verse 7 through 12. Read those along with me. Where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Presence. When you hear that word, what, what comes to, to mind? More specifically, when it comes to God's presence, what comes to mind? Well, I hope it's the, the storyline of Scripture. For our covenant, God's presence with his people starts at the very beginning. All the way back in Eden, he was present in the garden. He was present as he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He was present with Israel in the wilderness by fire and smoke. He was present with his people at Sinai. He was present with his people through the tabernacle. He was present with his people in the temple. The list could go on and on from the Old Testament into the New. And for David, the presence of God in this psalm is linked tightly with the person and work of the Spirit of God. He asks in verse 7 there, where shall I go from your spirit? The spirit is God's personal presence. That's what we see all the way as we fast forward into Acts 2. As the spirit descends to convict and comfort and unite God's people. Here David is not simply saying God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's saying he's everywhere at once. He's also saying, even more importantly, he's saying, that there is no place that he can go where God is not with him. There is no place that he can go, no place where he can flee from God. Look with me again there at verse 7 and following. If he goes to heaven, God is there. If he goes to Sheol or hell, God's there. Note on verse 8, That hell is not the absence of God, but involves the very real presence and agony of knowing God and what could have been. David then moves on there in verse 9. If he flew to the uttermost parts of the sea, God is there. But David's not finished. David knows that God is always there, not only with him, but leading him, holding him, and protecting him. On his darkest days, he knows that he is not alone. For even in the darkness, God, who is himself, light is with him, as it says in verse, verses 11 and 12. I know that many of you have been in the situation where you're fumbling through the house in the middle of the night trying to find the bathroom and the light switch. This would never happen with God. God is light. And he is present with us on the good days and on the bad. We are not alone. Isn't that good news for us? It's good news for us that no matter how far we stray, God is there. On those days where we receive word that that cancer or sickness has returned. On those days when we hear that COVID numbers are rising... And we are struck with fear and tension over 
mandates and masks and vaccines. On those days when we are grieving the spiritual or physical loss of friends or family members or church members. On those days when we are facing anxiety in school or in work. It is good news, friends, that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of our lives, God is there and that we are not alone. It is good news that God, who is himself light, love, and life, is present with us and has given us his church. That's one of the central ways that God has shown us that he is present with us. He's given us the church to live out our hope in the gospel in the midst of suffering. He's given us the church where we bear one another's burdens, where we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, where we both be disciples and make disciples, where we pursue peace and unity in the midst of the storms of this life. God is with us and he is for us. And brothers and sisters, we can take this truth to the finish line of heaven ultimately because of Emmanuel. God with us. Christ himself. See, God's omniscience and God's presence, omnipresence, culminates ultimately in Jesus, who is himself God with us. And if you're here today and you do not know him, if you don't know this Christ who came to earth, who set aside his splendor and instead took on a robe of frail humanity, the one who was tempted and tried yet was without sin, the one who went to the cross and was crucified bearing the wrath of God against your sin and my sin. The one who was raised again three days in resurrection life so that all that who repent and believe have salvation in him. If you don't know him, if you don't know that good news of the gospel, if you have not turned from your sin, all those ways that you have turned away from God and toward the fleeting pleasures and fleeting idols of this life. If you don't know him, this is my plea to you. This is my plea that you would come to know him, that you would trust in him, that you would come to an end of yourself and come to Christ. And when you do that, then like this, you are called a child of him. And on that last day, instead of hearing the most terrifying words that a human could ever hear from Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. Instead of hearing those words, you'll hear, welcome. Welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. If you have questions about this, please, I'll be standing in the back after the service please come talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors here. We would love nothing more than to tell you about this Christ who has saved us. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here today and you have placed your belief upon him 
and you have looked toward the cross work and resurrection of Christ with boldness. And God has declared that he is definitely, infinitely, and intimately with you and for you. And because of his work, because of Christ's work, you are united to him and therefore no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who dwells with us by the Spirit. And because he dwells with us, we dwell with him, the one who is our harbor. When the storms of this life and the currents of this life push and pull us, the one who is our present anchor and present safe place. And as it says in Matthew 28, verse 20, this Jesus, if you're repentant and believed, is with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that amazing? Isn't he good? Amen. But there's more. There's more here in this psalm. God is not only all-knowing, and all present, he is also all creating, which leads us to point three, the creativity of God. Look with me at verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. If the first section of the psalm highlights God's personal omniscience, and the second highlights his personal omnipresence, here in this section, David is highlighting under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what systematic theologians have called God's omnificence. Omnificence, the truth that God makes all things. And David is taking us deeper than just the theological truth that God makes all things. David presents here that God is making and creating all things and as he makes them and creates them, he does so in a personal way. So personal that he knows all the details of your life. He knows all the details of your days. He has numbered them and is involved with all of them. Friends, it has been said that the devil is in the details, but that, that's not true. That's not true. It's God who is in every detail. For David here exalts the God who formed him, who knit him, who fearfully and wonderfully made him. And in this section, David pulls back the curtain so that we may behold our all-creative God. So let's focus in now on verse 13 and following. First, God forms us. He formed our bodies and our souls. He knows us even before conception which ought to make us despise abortion all the more. And I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say this, that if you've had an abortion in the past or have, have facilitated 
and abortion in the past. You need to know that there is forgiveness. It's not an unpardonable sin. If you're in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation, and if you need to speak to someone about that, this church wants to hear and wants to walk with you. David here says that God formed him in every way, just as God formed us in every way. God forms, he creates, he gives the undeserved gift of children because he creates them. He is the great gift giver. We are mere receivers. That's what we find there. Second, God knits us. God takes all those parts that he forms and then knits them together. He weaves them together into a beautiful tapestry of his creation. David goes on to say that he was made in secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth, which is a beautiful and poetic way of saying that he was knit together in the womb. David here is exalting his creator God, who was like a composer, pulling unique melodic parts together to form a complete and beautiful symphony of his grace and of his beauty. And God knows the start of that composition, and he knows the end, for he knows all of our days. As it says in verse 16, he has numbered them and formed them and is sovereign perfectly over all of them. Third, we see here in this section that God fearfully and wonderfully makes us. If you've grown up in the church for any, for any length of time, if you've been a Christian, you've probably heard these, these words before. They're They're very popular words in Scripture, very common. But I fear that much like the words of amazing grace that that we've sung a thousand and one times, so many of us, it just becomes rote. It becomes just another song, another passage. But we want to see this anew this morning. I hope that you would see this anew this morning. See, God creates all of life. He creates male and he creates female. And what God creates is always declared good. Always. So listen. God created you according to his design and according to his will. You are fearfully and wonderfully Made. That's what God's voice is telling us in this passage this morning. But there's another voice that you're going to hear in this life. And that's the voice of the deceiver, Satan. That's the, the voice of this world that will shout into your head and your heart that you are not wonderfully made. They will shout, look at your imperfections. Surely that's not God's craftsmanship. You're just the product of random molecules anyway. Ultimately, they will declare that you are not worthy. And you may be tempted to think that you're a mistake. And you'll feel alone and and unloved. You may be tempted to, to, to take on the illusion of creative control and define 
you on your own terms or on the world's. And so I ask you this morning, what voice are you listening to? It has been said that the voice of love is not the same as the voice of fear or hate for oneself. For to hate the way that you were created is to hate the creator himself, but to love and delight in the way that you were created is to find yourself loving and delighting in the creator himself all the more. And so, husbands, encourage your wives this week with with this text. Wives, encourage your husbands this week with this text. Mothers and fathers, encourage your children with this section of the text. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in this church family, in all stages and ages of life, encourage one another with the truth of this text. May we remind one another that we have a God who created us and defined us in accordance with his grace and with his goodness. And may we, like David, respond with awe and praise as he does in verse, verses 17 through 18 saying, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. They are vast more than the sand. I just, I just love this. Verse 18. I just love this. David actually tried to count them. And, and he fell asleep. Only to find that when he awoke, he was still with God. Unable to fully know him, but able to truly know him as creator and savior. And as we're going to see next, as his holy God. And that brings us to our last point this morning. Point four, the holiness of God. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 24. 19 through 24. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, in the previous 18 verses, we have seen David acknowledge and praise the God who is all-knowing, all-present, and all-creative. And now... How does David respond? He exalts God's holiness by praying for justice to be done. That's what we see through these imprecatory words. Imprecatory means call down judgment upon another. It's been said that this section of the psalm is the one that doesn't often make it on your grandmother's quilt or coffee mug. In fact, some commentators go as far as to say it's a mistake. <laughs> They're like, oh, what, what's going on here? This seems so out of, out of place. But oh, this is not true. That's not true. Yes, if we're honest with ourselves, these verses don't sit well with us. They're difficult, seemingly offensive. We should acknowledge that before moving on. We should acknowledge the tension here. So what's going on? Why this section? Why in the world can David, how in the world can David, in previous stanzas, delight in God so powerfully 
and then pray that God would slay the wicked, pursuing him and express complete hatred for God's enemies. Well, David has seen the glory of God and his holiness. That's what he has seen. That's what he knows about God. And out of love for him, out of righteous zeal and indignation, he desires evil to be done away with. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's, that's our desire as well. See, David hates what God hates, and that's sin. That's wickedness and its expressions in these verses. The expression of murder. Speaking with malicious intent. Taking God's name in vain. And David is righteously indignant against those who loathe their creator. He takes their hate personally. One commentator helps, helps us think of it this way. If someone hates your spouse or hates your children or hates your parents, do you not get defensive? Do you, do you not feel like you're, you're being attacked? These are your people. Therefore, if they hate them, they technically hate you, especially of those of you who are married. You're one flesh with your spouse. That's what we see here. Furthermore, David is, is aligning himself with God in these verses. David here is showing us what it looks like to stand with our holy God and to desire his holy justice. So what are you desiring today? Who are you standing with today? See, we are either hating evil or loving it. We're either running with those who are doing evil or we are running with those who love the Lord. And so this prayer, this section becomes a mirror, doesn't it? A mirror for us to look into and ask some inventory questions. Here are, here are a handful of inventory questions that this text shines back at us in our face. Where is my allegiance? Do I hate evil or am I embracing it? Who am I aligned with? Am I pursuing holiness as God is holy? What does my life reflect? See, there is no neutral position in the spiritual battle of this life. And so when we look at the world around us as sinners, for those of you who are Christians, as sinners and saints, when we look at the world around us, when we engage with unbelieving family, unbelieving friends, unbelieving coworkers, unbelieving people in our day-to-day -day lives, may we not engage them with angry, vindictive hate but instead pray for them and call them to a greater allegiance, to call them to a greater and holy God than the poor gods of this world.
call them to the gospel of Christ, crucified and resurrected. For it's in him and through him that sinners are justified. It's in him and through him where we can look at the world around us and see. I see a bit of myself there, but my allegiance is with God. May we do this in love and grace and with this kind of boldness that David does that flows out of a love for our holy God and a hatred of what is evil. Well, we should conclude. Look with me there at verses 23 and 24 here in closing. Let me read them. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This psalm ends with what's called an inclusio. An inclusio is like a bookend. David comes here full circle back to his opening words, but this time in light of seeing and knowing who God is. In light of seeing how God knows him, how he is present with him, and how he has created him. And in light of standing in the glory of God's holiness, in contrast to standing with evil men, he pleads to our all-holy God, search me, search me. Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. At the close of this psalm, David is looking heavenward and declaring that he is not God, but that God is God and that he is ultimately the searcher and knower of our hearts. May we friends. May we brothers and sisters like David stand and behold our great God, the one who is both ineffable and intimate. The one who is so far beyond us and yet so near to us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we do this with humility and thankfulness, honor and adoration. For he alone, this God that we behold today, he alone is worthy to be praised. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good and you are great. You are far beyond measure. But we praise you and thank you that you are near to us through the work of Christ by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Cause us to walk with you. Cause us to stand with you. Cause us to delight in you, our great God. We know that we cannot do this on our own, nor are we meant to. We need your help. We ask that you would give us what we have not, Lord, that you would teach us what we know not, Lord, and that you would make us what we are not, Lord, to the praise and glory of Jesus alone. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.